This week's episode of the Elithia Podcast is brought to you by, well, just us. But if you'd like to hear your name at the beginning of one of these podcasts or your business's name, send us a DM at the Elithia Podcast on Instagram. Also, our email should be up and running soon, so stay tuned for that in a future episode or on our Instagram page. We'll let you know how to contact us there. Thank you and enjoy our show. Hey guys. Before we get into this week's episode, we wanted to give you a couple of updates on our end. And yes, I said our end, because this is no longer a solo act. Starting from now on, during our episodes, you're going to be hearing a lot more group conversations between myself and our other team members. This team is constantly growing and evolving, and I'm so happy to introduce the rest of them to you. For longtime people who've been with us since the beginning, thank you so much for sticking with us this far, but... Let's admit it, as much as I love hearing the sound of my own voice, it's better this way. And this week's episode is an interview between myself and Professor Mark Wells, who's a normative ethicist and was one of my instructors at Northeastern University, where I took his class on healthcare and medical ethics. We had a really interesting conversation about how these concepts apply to the current COVID-19 pandemic, and with the Delta variant surging across the country right now, that conversation is more important than ever. While I recorded it last January and didn't get a chance to release it until now, I feel like it's important for people to hear. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And hopefully, we'll all learn something along the way. Welcome to the Aletheia Podcast, the show for people who want science to be just a little bit more user-friendly. This week, we're joined by Professor Mark Wells of Northeastern University, who teaches the course Moral and Social Problems in Healthcare. As a normative ethicist, he has a very particular insight into the COVID-19 pandemic and how we as a society should be dealing with it and what our responsibilities in doing so are. All right, Professor Wells, thank you for joining us. Happy to be here. Alrighty, so real quick, can you tell us sort of what you do as a normative ethicist and what normative ethicists sort of do in general? Certainly. So I'll start with the, the more general question, which is normative ethicists are involved, at least philo um, philosophers who call themselves normative ethicists, are involved in exploring normative concepts, ethical concepts. So concepts like right, wrong, good, bad, obligation, um, duty, these kind of are these sort of crucial concepts, these concepts that are central to our way of talking about ethics and morality uh, are in some sense very familiar, but they're also in other ways kind of mysterious, right? How do we know an action is wrong? What does it really mean to say an action is wrong? What could make an action wrong? Those kinds of questions um, are really puzzling. And those are the kinds of questions that normative ethicists explore. Okay. Uh, so as, as a normative ethicist myself, uh, I'm particularly interested in exploring those big questions, but also try to explore and look at how these concepts apply and operate in more applied settings. So, right, how, what kinds of duties might medical practitioners have? What kinds of duties might you and I have towards the environment with respect to climate change and, and so on and so forth? Okay, awesome. So one of the things that I remember we talked about a lot in class was this concept of autonomy. And in a lot of discussions around what's going on with COVID-19, this concept seems to come up a lot. So when we talk about autonomy in a medical sense, what do we usually mean there? Well, so uh, 
when we say we here, right, we might mean like, what do people in general mean? But I think what you're really driving at is like, what do sort of the professionals mean, right, when they right. start to talk about this narrow technical concept? And so autonomy um, really became sort of vogue in the philosophical literature about 250 years ago. And it just means autonomy, which is self-law or self-regulation. And so really what it refers to when we're using it technically and precisely is the human psychological capacity to um, regulate your own behavior, to act according to principles, to make decisions, to practically reason mm -hmm. is sort of in a nutshell. So that's what where we're talking about when we talk about autonomy. Where that gets relevant for ethics is a lot of people think it's really important that we respect people's autonomy, that, we, that medical practitioners respect patient autonomy. And that's where we get into some interesting questions about what does it really mean to respect this psychological capacity that seems so important. Okay, awesome. And I just wanted to sort of get your perspective on this, because I know in the culture that I was born in, right, in India, they have a very sort of different, I guess, importance that they give to this notion of autonomy. Because there, when a doctor tells you something, you kind of just do it unless it's something that you like physically, like monetarily speaking, cannot afford to do, right? Mm -hmm. So th there's, there's a very high level of respect there. And there's less of an emphasis on sort of what you want. You sort of, there's a more culture of deference to authority there. Why do you think that's maybe different here in a country like the United States where you see all these issues about individual freedoms? Uh, absolutely. So the, I think the, 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 I think it's really important to sort of focus on these kinds of um, cross-cultural differences because there might be really interesting things to find. I think the explanation for the difference here is gotta be a, a historical one about, looking at the kinds of events that precipitated the rise of kind of thinking about autonomy in the US context and in the maybe the broader kind of Anglo-American context across or um, sort of the Anglo empire uh, across the world. Um, in this sense, I think what happened was, you, you know, um, what you described in India existed and still exists in some parts of the US, right? It's not, it's not like it's totally, um, distinct from the way things have operated here in the US. But I think, what so when you sort of what, we have to look at the historical events that led to people thinking about this um, in a different way. And in the US, the precipitating moment is in the 70s, um, people start to take a look at some pretty heinous experimentation going on in the US context, looking at things like the Tuskegee syphilis studies, looking at things, um, experiments on um, mentally handicapped children, experiments on elderly, uh, some really awful stuff. And that's kind of this flashpoint that connects up American medical practice with um, the horrors of what they saw from um, Nazi medical experimentation, which had already been resoundingly rejected. And suddenly it became crystal clear for the medical community in the US that, oh my gosh, we're being Nazis, or at least we're, we're sort of not respecting things in the same way that Nazis were not respecting things. Um, and I think that kind of flashpoint is, is very historically situated in the US, and it leads to a kind of major revolution in thinking about these kinds of things. And, you know, different countries, different cultures um, have different historical trajectories. There's no, there might not have been a flashpoint in the same kind of way. And so um, this kind of popular support or, or change in cultural attitudes just wouldn't have gotten a grip.
Right. Like I, I can definitely say like using back that same example of India, right? Like we have like a very rich history of like, you know, medicine and respect for the art and, you know, respect for patients. Uh, I, so I feel like that same historical context definitely isn't there uh, to that same extent. But as we know, this can sort of have two sides to it, because now when we come into the current crisis, there is an overwhelming sort of debate as to what responsibility a person has to yes, exercise their autonomy, but then also do things that are in the interest of other people. Because a lot of people are saying, no, I'm just exercising my rights. It is not selfish to do so, and it is not wrong to do so. So I remember there was this, there's this creator on uh, TikTok and Instagram. This, this dude's name is uh, Christian Walker. He's, he threw a temper tantrum a few days ago, like all over social media about how it is not selfish for him to want to ignore lockdowns or not wear a mask or not get vaccinated because he is an American and he has the God-given rights to do so. What, what might you say as somebody who studies uh, normative and especially medical ethics uh, to someone who says things like that? Um, wow. Well, I, I mean, I think I, I don't know what I would say to this person to their face because uh, to be honest, it doesn't sound like they might be open to rational, reasonable conversation about right. it if they're throwing temper tantrums <laughs> on TikTok. But what I would say to people who um, are curious about sort of what has gone wrong there is I would say is there, there's just a kind of fairly straightforward confusion there, right? The, when people talk about rights, or at least when, when these ideas were developed uh, and created and thought about, um, the idea of a political right is simply a kind of protection from um, interference by a powerful political entity, the, the government that you live under. And so this is, that's all that rights are supposed, we're supposed to pick out, right? Which was to say, look, uh, you know, think about it back in sort of Britain in 1600s, right? When John Locke starts to worry about this kind of stuff, right? right? What is he worried about? He's worried about, right? The literal sort of like men with swords coming to your house and stabbing you for being a Catholic, right? That's, right. that's what he's really worried about here. So that's where the right to religion comes from. Now, this person, right, is clearly just absolutely confused because we can grant that, e even if we grant that the government doesn't have a right to um, require people to sort of behave in certain kinds of ways, and, that, and we can dispute that, right, for all sorts of good reasons, but even if we granted that to, to this person, it wouldn't follow that he isn't being selfish, it wouldn't follow that he isn't being a jerk, um, isn't acting wrong, doesn't have a duty, or anything like that. Um, because he's confusing, right, restrictions or constraints on government behavior with what's proper for him to do. And, right. you know, saying that, like, it's entirely possible to say you shouldn't do that thing. And also a third party shouldn't come and beat you up for doing it. Right. And those two, right. And so he's just clearly confused about the relationship between those things. Um, but I also want to sort of extend it further and say, and I do think Right, we can reasonably or have a reasonable kind of uh, debate about whether or not he even actually has that right uh, uh, from the government in this case. Um, because you know, um, uh, you know, when your behavior puts people at risk, that's precisely where we start to see start to see the boundaries or limits on on you having a right. Okay, right. Because in that same sense, we can kind of agree that okay. Yes, it shouldn't be illegal for me to lie to my spouse, but at the same time, it's still kind of a bad thing for me as a person to do. So in the same sense, what it shouldn't be necessarily allowed for the government to do isn't necessarily a bearing on what makes you a good or bad person if you do it regardless. 
Absolutely. I think okay. you, I, I couldn't have put it better myself, right? Uh, the example I like to use is adultery, right? right? Of course, you're, you're, right, you're a jerk, you're awful, you're doing something wrong. Um, but do I really think it's appropriate for the government to come in and start to, right, like beat me up or put you in jail for being a jerk? I, that's where I start to get <laughs> real worried. Right. Yeah, like we can we can maybe have like this premise that like in order for something to be illegal or for something to be mandated, we have to say that, you know, going in contrary to that poses an actual active danger to the collective society in a certain way, right? Yeah, uh, we have to say somebody, right, like somebody um, is being put at risk or at least, um, you know, at least maybe somebody has a right or a claim that is being um, seriously threatened, maybe you know, our ability to live together is being threatened in some, in some deep way. And that's a really great, that's really the time for the government to sort of step in and sort of set the boundaries to, um, to our interpersonal behavior. Okay, awesome. So then what then would you say in terms of these ethical principles dictates our responsibility to do things like wear a mask or potentially even get vaccinated, right? Because there are a lot of people now who are very concerned about this vaccine rollout. They say, oh, it's been very rushed. Uh, and, you know, as a, as a scientist, as somebody who works in, in that, you know, who I've actually worked in, in, you know, development before, I wholly dispute that from a scientific standpoint, but that's a different discussion altogether. What I guess I want to under, I was wondering if you could maybe shed some light on is what responsibility does a person have to maybe right. do those things? Absolutely. So in um, medical ethics, it's broadly seen that there's a kind of requirement of beneficence. And what does that mean? Well, that just means like we have to take care of each other. So the whole point of medicine, right, is taking care of another person. That's ultimately sort of the fundamental impetus or drive of medicine. And I think more generally, though, we recognize that this isn't just limited to like doctors and nurses, right? But it also applies to us in general, right? We all have obligations to take care of each other. You're, you know, you do something vicious or wrong if you just left somebody uh, to bleed out and didn't right? Even give 911 a call or something like that, right? So we have these obligation or this duty to take care of each other in general. And I think once you recognize that, then you immediately start to see good grounds for a duty to, um, you know, wear a mask, uh, uh, to socially distance. And then you also start to see um, reasons piling up to take a vaccine. And of course, right, once our scientific experts and medical community have tested this vaccine, have sort of made sure that it's low risk. Um, and in that case, right, then the smallness of the risk of taking the vaccine when compared to the magnitude of the benefits uh, that you can then sort of outweigh or those sort of the reasons can pile up such that um, people have a duty or an obligation to take the, take the vaccine in yeah, those awesome. cases. Would you say that that sort of principle of what we what we called in class, like the the duty of easy rescue would necessarily apply to something like mask wearing? Because there is some there's been a lot of debate over that as to whether or not people have a responsibility to do that simply because it's easy and because it doesn't really take much away from you. Absolutely. So for your listeners, the duty of easy rescue is just this idea that when the costs are very low and the benefit is very high, um, you have to bear those costs to deliver that benefit, or you have a duty to do so. And so the classic case here is you're walking by a pond, you see a child 
struggling in the pond, drowning in the pond, and you can save that child, but it would, um, you know, damage your shoes, maybe your expensive shoes, maybe you're wearing some like fancy shoes, you're going to a job interview or something like that, or maybe it would get your smartphone muddy and wet and, and maybe sort of trash your smartphone. Uh, and the idea here is, sh do we have a duty, even though it might muddy our shoes or trash our smartphone to, to dive in and, and save the child from the pond? And the thought here is from this thought experiment is uh, pretty obviously yes, a lot of, or at least that's how a lot of people interpret that thought experiment. That like, of course you should, you should save the child in the pond, even if it's gonna get your shoes muddy. And the idea here is what, what explains that is this duty of easy rescue, this idea, again, um, that if the costs are low and the benefits are high, you have a duty to um, deliver those benefits even at the small cost. And, and so to apply that to this mask wearing case, right? What are the costs of wearing a mask? Well, I mean, I guess they can be a little bit uncomfortable. In my case, they fog my glasses uh, and I haven't found any way, even nose clips, right? Don't really fully address that. And it's annoying. It's annoying to have my glasses fogged. Um, but yeah, that's not, that cost is so minimal um, that I, I, that wouldn't be enough to sort of undermine the duty to do so, to right. wear them. Okay. So I guess one of the other questions I want to ask you then is how do you, as public health officials, right, how do we properly communicate that to people? Because there seems to be a really huge debate over this that there hasn't necessarily been in a lot of other countries, even like Western nations, there hasn't been as much this, I guess, vigorous of a debate about these kinds of responsibilities that people have. So how do you think it could, the responsibility now that we've seen sort of one administration's handling of it, uh, what do you think might be a better way to sort of communicate those duties and responsibilities in a way that people might be more receptive to them? Yeah, so this is a really good question. And um, it's one that there's been a lot of really interesting work in the social sciences about, about sort of communication and, and how to think about these things. Um, and as far as I can tell from the literature on that, though I, my own research doesn't sort of explore this question directly, but from what I can tell from the literature on that is that there's a kind of two, two-pronged take here. There's the short term and the long term. In the short term, uh, you have to sort of be consistent in your messaging, be a model in your messaging, right? If you say you have to wear masks, then you have to wear a mask in, in general, right? You have to demonstrate to people that you're sort of playing by the same rules that you're asking them to comply with, right? Um, Again, consistency in messaging, people are going to be very quick to point out or to spot sort of inconsistencies where, oh, you told us to do this one thing one time and then you changed your mind, right? Um, so that's going to be part of the story is going to uh, sort of present yourself right in, um, uh, in a certain kind of way, namely a sort of consistent um, way. I, uh, I also think, though, that there's going to be a long-term problem here, and I think that's really what ex best explains what's going on here in the U.S., is that in the U.S., I think what we've done is we have eroded faith in uh, certain kinds of important public health institutions, uh, and that, that faith has been eroded not just in the short term, though it has been eroded in the short term, but also in the long term. Um, now, what are the causes of those kinds of erosion? Well, there's all sorts of things we can point to. Political polarization, um, you know, we can point to bad behavior 
in terms of public health uh, in the past, right? Mm -hmm. Some of these agencies have been complicit in things like the Tuskegee syphilis experiment. And, uh, you know, people don't forget that kind of thing, right? They, they uh, it's a really hard ask to ask a, a community that has been oppressed in the past by an institution or an organization to all of a sudden sort of welcome the, the, the what the public health institution is asking of them now, right? Um, so, uh, you know, people who live through the AIDS crisis uh, might not be so uh, eager to, oh, now we have to suddenly listen to all these public health. Now we have to listen to Anthony Fauci, right? Even though back sort of in there, you know, he was criticized for his behavior in the AIDS, um, how he handled the AIDS pandemic sort of in the late 80s and early 90s. And so there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a long-term work here in rebuilding, reinvigorating, building up these these ties of social trust again uh, to make sure, to make that the, um, these public health organizations trustworthy in the eyes of the public again. But then there's also the short-term project of being consistent in your messaging, um, being honest, uh, uh, sort of being a good model, those kinds of things too. Alrighty, awesome. Well, I think I just have sort of like one final question for you and that's sure. sort of to our viewers, what would you say are ways that you can act more responsibly given the pandemic's current trajectory, right? Like given, you know, there is a vaccine being rolled out, but you know, there's might still be, you know, they're saying that there's not enough data as to whether or not that will actually inhibit transmission and that type of thing. So what, what would you say are ways maybe our viewers at home could act in a way that's more ethical given everything that's going on? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think for, for, um, for most of us, uh, you know, there's there's going to be particular requirements if we're on the front line of this thing that I'm not going to go, go into that are might but might be sort of worth thinking about, right? So if you're you know if you're a frontline physician, you might have certain kinds of special obligations that you might have to deal with. But I'm going to just sort of focus on the general thought, and the general thought is I think we need to be um, really open and honest and clear in how we engage with other people in a time of absolute crisis, um, recognizing that this has been a very difficult year for many of us, um, recognizing the costs and burdens of what's been going on for many of us, but also at the same time, recognizing the importance of solidarity and group action and being in this together and working together to address some of the issues in the healthcare landscape that we're seeing, never mind the other issues that we're seeing outside of healthcare as well, right? Uh, and so, in, in with that in mind here is I would I sort of always emphasize um, respect and care. Is that uh, live in a way, um, watch what you're doing to sort of make sure that you are caring for people, caring for those around you in a respectful manner. Um, make sure that you're practicing. And, and, you know, there's lots of, of, of um, different sort of cultural expressions of care and different sort of cultural respect, expressions of respect. But in general, right, these involve generosity, forgiveness, solidarity, working together, being open and honest, um, being, um, uh, you know, just sort of recognizing the, that um, the, the difficulties and complexities that each individual person is facing and just sort of being uh, uh, tolerant and... Uh, um, open to th those kinds of things. So I think that's sort of my my take home message is that it, it's going to be a really kind of the process here is sort of making sure that we um, we continue to care for each other um, and we do so in a kind of respectful way, um, open to the sensitivities and differences among all of us. Um, 
And I think part of that, just to add one last thought here, is that that's going to involve listening in an important kind of way and hearing other people and um, really trying to carefully understand the needs of those around us and paying attention to those needs. All right. Professor Wallace, thank you so much for joining us. Well, you're, you're very welcome, Alex. It's my pleasure to be here. Hey there. Thanks for listening all the way to the end of our episode today. If you liked this one, please consider giving us a follow on Spotify so that you never miss another episode. Also, if you want extra content from us, updates on what's going on in the world, or just general information that you don't get on our Spotify, please consider following us on Instagram or TikTok at the Aletheia Podcast for both of those channels. Thank you so much. We'll see you in the next one.